Warning, this podcast contains adult language and some content that might make you a little uncomfortable. It's not intended for younger or more sensitive listeners. You have been warned. Welcome to our parlor, said the spider to the fly, and also welcome back to the roller coaster of doom, right next to the tilt-a-whirl of eternal torment in the amusement park of the damned. This spooky show. So just a regular tilt-a-whirl then. Basically, Basically. just a regular (laughs) ass tilt-a-whirl. I hate those things. (laughs) We are your eternal, ever-smiling, empty-gazing, ride attendants, the ghoul babes. Do you want to ride the tilt-a-whirl? If you thought I wouldn't find a way of putting puns into this episode, it is not impossible. Oh. Oh. I'm Jade. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes. You certainly are. (laughs) (laughs) And I used a gargoyle to file my nail the other day. True story. I'm Lauren. And I'm the void that stares back. You have something in your teeth, by the way. Vivian. (laughs) Back with us yet again, because it's just, you know, at this point, I'm ready to give up. It's just not working. Uh, I don't know what else to say. We're six episodes in and nothing we've done has worked. I know. I know. We're failures. Failures, I tells you. Failures. I just keep killing (laughs) interns to to sate my rage, and it's not helping. (laughs) That's totally fine. We need new interns, by the way. (laughs) Not taking applications. Inquire within. Now, our editor, Quincy, has returned with us again. Uh, apparently, when we tried to boil him in the barbecue sauce, he just ate it. We forgot. He really likes barbecue sauce. Well, like I said, it was tangy. Tangy and delicious. So, you know what? Fine. Fine. We give up. A peace offering, I A think. A peace offering, I believe, is in store. Why don't you tell the people what we gave you? Well, they gave me a video game. Uh little n64 uh, uh cartridge it's a uh, majora's mask and seems pretty cool so far it had a save file on there for someone named ben i left it alone though <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm <clears throat> just clearing my throat yeah you enjoy that yeah have fun with that there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that cartridge whatsoever let us know how it goes And this week, seeing as how it's been a little bit since we tackled scary books and spooky fiction, we decided it was time to do just that. So we wanted to share some of our favorite creepypasta short stories from the internet with you, our devoted yet damned listeners. So we will each be presenting some stories we've chosen to entertain and frighten you. You may want to listen to this episode with the lights on, but hey, where's the fun in that? You big babies. You big babies. But first, some sad news. It turns out that after last week's episode, the big board got drunk after the big school dance and went driving too fast around Dead Man's Curve, and, well, we know how that one ends. So in its place for this episode, making its official spooky show debut, is the Cursed Cauldron of Deciding! Woo! Cursed Cauldron of Deciding! I can hear you bubbling in my dreams! In in my pants. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Is that how you snuck that in here? Yes. (laughs) Yes. We will take turns telling stories by drawing them out of the cauldron from more than a dozen that we have scoured the interwebs for. Some of these stories you may well be familiar with, and some may be new to you. It's all part of the game, kitties. 
Join us. So without further ado, first up is Jade. Let's see what the cauldron has in store for you. Oh my god, I'm scared. Ow, Ow it bit me! <laughs> I got two. Ooh, take that one back. The Uno. I got Ow. Yeah. You got Ow. Something I sharp did. in there. Speaking of you got Ow, oh. I got instant messaging mm-hmm. written by Anonymous. Cool. Insert uh, AOL dial-up noise now. (laughs) I'll never do that again, I promise. (laughs) It all started on the 14th night of March, the night of my parents' 20th wedding anniversary. It was a wonderful, sunny day, if memory serves, surprisingly warm before the beginning of spring. The beautiful weather was perfect for the atmosphere of the day. Being married for 20 years is obviously a momentous occasion, so my parents had booked a table at our favorite Italian restaurant. Of course, this was a formal occasion, so I had on my best suit. It was 5.33 and I was just straightening my tie when my phone went off. I'd received a message. That's strange, I thought. That never happens. I checked the message. It was from my mom. It was quite a jumble of numbers and letters. but. Through the vocabulary stew, I could make out one legible phrase. Help me. It should go without saying that this worried me greatly, so I immediately replied, Are you okay? Just as instantly, I got another text which read, Oops, pocket text. I sighed with all the relief I had and continued to prepare myself. A few minutes later, I received yet another text message. This time, for my dad. I checked the text, and once again, it was a massive mixture of letters and numbers with the phrase, please help me, concealed within. Creepy, though this was, my dad was always a joker, so I presumed that he was just joking around, until I was sent another text saying, oops, pocket text. Now this sparked panic, pure, unmistakable panic. Exactly half a minute passed when I received the exact same two messages from my sister. This could not be coincidental just couldn't. In a state of sheer anxiety, I started to run to the restaurant. I made it about a quarter of the way before I was stopped by a police officer. Main roads closed, he said. Huge car crash. This was the exact moment I realized just what had happened. I demanded to see the wreckage, a request which I was surprised was allowed. When I got there, it wasn't the remnants of the car that caught my eye or the flames billowing from the destroyed vehicle. No. I was horrified to see the lifeless corpses of my mother, father, and sister. I asked for the estimated times of their deaths. All three of them were killed instantly by the collision at 5.32, a minute before the very first text. Ooh. Pretty spooky. Gosh, that was such a long story, though. So long. <laughs> so long. So long. I'm parched. <laughs> glug, 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 glug. <laughs> now, I like the really, the, the shorter ones, actually, because they usually pack the most punch. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a lot of detail that you can get lost in before you're like, yeah. oh, hey, that's what happened. Oh, yeah. Like, back to the story. Oh, oh, back yeah. to the plot. It's like, uh, the last man on Earth sits alone in his living room. Suddenly, a knock on the door. Yeah. Like, woo! <laughs> it's also like that, um, what is it? That challenge that was like, 
create the most devastating story in like six six, six words. words and it was like baby shoes never worn or something yes. like that oh baby shoes for sale never worn mm-hmm. was the story there's another one something about uh returning an engagement ring and with a, a military discount something like that hmm. yeah something like that i i know i have such a way with words but that was the gist <laughs> of the story economy of words <laughs> well on to the next offering shall we Let's prick our fingers and feed a bit of blood to the cursed cauldron and see what it bubbles up just for Lauren. Ooh, my turn. All right. I'm going to reach in here, but it looks gross and slimy. Sorry. Yeah. That's the best part of it. I'm going to move the eyeball off to the side. All the way up to the elbow in there. Uh, All right. Up to the elbow. There you go. All right. What do I get? What'd you get? I got Doors, written by Anonymous. I was adopted. I never knew my real mother, rather. I knew her at one time, but I left her side when I was too little to be able to remember. I loved my adopted family, though. They were so kind to me. I ate well, I lived in a warm and comfortable house, and I got to stay up pretty late. Let me tell you about my family real fast. First, there's my mother. I never called her mom or anything like that. I just called her by her first name. Janice. She didn't mind at all, though. I called her that for so long, I don't think she even noticed. Anyhow, she was a very kind woman. I think she's the one who recommended my adoption in the first place. Sometimes I would lay my head against her in front of the television. She would tickle my back with her nails. She is one of those Hollywood mothers. (laughs) Second, there's Dad. His real name was Richard, but... He never really liked me much, so I began to refer to him as Dad in a desperate attempt to gain his affection. It didn't work. I think that no matter what I called him, he would never love me as much as his own child. I mean, that's understandable, so I really didn't press the matter. The most notable attribute of Dad was his unmoving sternness. He was not afraid to pop his children when they did something wrong. I found that out before I could use the restroom properly. (laughs) He didn't hesitate to spank me. Well, I'm in line, and it's because of his methods. Lastly is my sister. Little Emily was really young when I was adopted, so we were about the same age, but she was slightly older. I like to think of her as my little sister, though. We got along better than any sibling could possibly get along. We would always stay up late together and just talk. Well, she did a lot of the talking. (laughs) I mostly just listened because, well, I loved her. It was a great setup that we had. We were short on bedrooms, so, because I didn't want to sleep in the living room by myself when I was littler, I had a pallet set up for me next to her bed on the floor. This is where I've slept since. But it was cool with me because I enjoyed being with her and I had always felt pretty protective of my little sister. Everything changed on a horrible Wednesday night. I was at home taking a nap when little Emily opened the front door. The sound of the door opening pulled me to a state of consciousness and I walked from the room down the hall to the living room. That's when I first remembered it was Wednesday. I was never any good at keeping track of what day it was. Actually, I'll just go ahead and say it. My sense of time was horrible. But nevertheless, I knew it was Wednesday because Emily had just come home from her church's youth group gathering. She walked in the front door and hugged me, and then she was followed in by Dad and Janice. Did you have a good nap? Janice said teasingly as she ruffled up my hair. I just shook my head away and snorted in a manner that clearly expressed I was teasing back with her. 
Don't you snort at your mother like that, said my father gruffly with authority. He shut the door behind him and hung up his coat. I was clearly joking, I growled under my breath. He must not have heard me because I didn't feel him smack me. Emily then proceeded to our room and I followed. She started telling me about her day. You know, usual teenage girl stuff. But I listened so that she would feel better. After her summary, she suggested watching TV, and I obliged and jumped onto the couch as she was going for the remote. She rolled her eyes at my little brother-like immaturity and scooted me over and sat down. The TV turned on, and we watched it together until the sun went down. Emily was the kind of girl that, instead of watching cartoons and soap operas, would rather watch Discovery and Animal Planet and National Geographic. I like those too, so I didn't mind. Actually, those were honestly the only channels that can hold my attention. So it got late, and Janice walked up behind the sofa. Emily, it's past your bedtime. Turn off the television and go to your room. You too, she pointed at me. Emily turned off the program we were watching grudgingly and stood up. She started down the hallway to our room. As I followed, I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. We went into our room, and Emily turned off the light. Just as she did, I caught a flash of movement out of the corner of my eye. It was out the window, but as soon as I redirected my line of sight to where the window was no longer in my peripheral vision, what it was I thought I saw was gone. I still remained alert, for my sister's sake. I laid there in the darkness with nothing but a thin ray of light from the street lamp outside to illuminate the room. It wasn't much. Time and time again, I could have sworn that I heard subtle sounds just out the window. A twig break, leaves crunching, clothes jostling, and all the while I could smell the faint stench of sweat and blood. I kept my eyes open most of the night. The sounds outside subsided, and the smell left my nose. I began to feel at ease. My eyelids closed. Not long after that, I heard a very loud crash on the other side of the house. I was up in an instant. There's someone in the house, I barked, with extreme adrenaline coursing through me. Wake up! I shrilly pleaded with Emily. She did, and as soon as I saw her sit up, I ran to my parents' room. Dad was dead. His neck was splayed open and gaping as blood spilled out of it, off the bed and onto the floor. I saw that the master bedroom's door was closed, and just before it on the outside was a man. A man. I don't feel comfortable calling it that. He was very large and rugged. He turned around and saw me, and that's when I saw him accurately for the first time. I won't forget it. His eyes were large and beady, and trapped with lust. He was styling a beard that was badly unkempt, with blood dripping off. His clothes were dirty, and his face was cold. Just then I noticed the same horrid smell of sweat and blood from earlier, but this time it was overwhelming. He saw me. He saw me and grinned with a set of crooked yellow teeth. That smile threw me off. I thought I was going to die, but then he turned back to the bathroom door, completely unperturbed by my presence. I was terrified and didn't know what to do. I just yelled and cried. I watched as he shouldered through the door that was Mom's only protection. I watched as he raised the large razor that he was carrying, but had obviously neglected to use properly. I watched as he sliced her open and tore her to shreds. I then heard something, the last thing that I wanted to hear. It was Emily's scream coming from behind me. 
the large monstrosity looked up from my butchered mother and stared at my little sister. I was distraught. He stood up and quickly started walking towards us. My sis turned and ran, and I was at a loss when he bypassed me and went straight after her. Why was she still in the house? Had she not assessed the situation and run? Apparently not, and now she was dead and I was alone. I ran after them both. I expected the man to kill her as he had the rest of my family, but I was sadly mistaken. He grabbed her by the arm and jerked her as a way to make clear he was in control. He dragged her through the house. I was making all the noise I could now, hoping and praying someone would come to my aid. He mustn't take her. Not her! As he passed me, I backed against the wall and whimpered with terror. Why? He didn't respond except by putting his free hand on my head while Emily screamed in the other and saying, Good boy. He gave another crooked grin and a very cold, unnatural laugh. I followed him to the door, where he dragged my helpless sister after him. He opened it, pulled her out, and slammed it shut behind him. I am now sitting in the house with my mutilated adopted parents, shivering and whimpering with dismay. He's out there with her, doing who knows what to her, and I can't do anything. I would if I could, but I can't. I would chase after them in a heartbeat, but I can't. I sit here, looking at the front door. I look down at my paws. If only I could open doors. That was creepy. Oh, my heart hurts. I know. I was like, oh, it's a poor puppy. Makes me think of um, the dogs from the LaBianca murders. Oh, Oof, yeah. If that's how they yeah. felt. Like, oh. Oh, I didn't want to think about that. <laughs> like, I already have to compose myself after reading that. <laughs> yeah, that's a creepy one. That's one that really gets you. It kind of makes you Although, go. Although, it is only work. It does only work for a dog. Because if it was a cat, the cat would be like, yeah, fuck you, bye. <laughs> I still got food. It's I fine. Still got, there's plenty of food in here, so. I, I can <laughs> get in the seems, bag. This seems like a you problem. Right. I mean. You could have left the door open for me so I could go and find another family, but, you know, it's <laughs> cat, fine. Cat's like, well, time to find a new family. Time to find a new family. Now, that is total cat behavior. So, yeah, yeah this would only this work for only a dog. only works for a dog. It really does get you, though. really makes you think, like, oh, it's this adopted little boy. Right. Yeah, this cute little boy. And, and then it's no, like, and it's then a... pause. It's a dog. It's a it's an adopted good boy. He's a good. He's the goodest oh, boy. He was the goodest boy. I'm just. I hate stories where thing bad things happen to animals. So, yeah, something bad happened, but he wasn't like hurt. it wasn't. It wasn't hurt. Yeah, it's like not like the save the was it save the cat. Um, there's a movie review thing called Save the Cat goes to the movies, and it's like about. It's like kind of like where it's like save the animals. Like you know, it's mm-hmm. like a they they review like things and like their basis for review is like well did the did the animal die you know oh okay so it's like uh does the dog die.com kind of like that yeah yeah which we've actually uh we've started trying to update it as we watch you know newer movies we're like oh well is pacific heights on here let's go and check and then you know inevitably it's not because no one's ever seen pacific heights no. <laughs> I've well that was like my heard of it that's why my mom goes she wanted to go. She wanted to see Life of Pi, but she was like, "Does the tiger die?" I'm like, "Mom, the tiger's not even real in it. It's a CG tiger. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> like, matter. It's not even real. The animals in it aren't real. None of that is real." <laughs> like, 
Unless it's Cannibal Holocaust, in which case, like, I, I won't watch. Yeah, no, that's that's a different, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a fish of a different color. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from a horror junkie, I will not watch Cannibal Holocaust, and it's for that reason. Yeah, just just the name. I'm good. <laughs> like I'm, like I'm, I'm good. good. I will say the part though that got me because I kind of went at one part. It was like his eyes were large and beady. Those are two opposite things, yeah. right? That was like mm. sitting there reading are it, going, "Wait a minute." <laughs> there was another thing that got which me. Which is it? Yeah, there was one? another thing that got me, and it was where he was talking about like the razor. He's like, which he obviously neglected to use properly. I'm like, this is not the time to be shady. Yeah, this is not the time. <laughs> yeah, this is not the time to be making obs- observations about his facial hair, <laughs> about his grooming. Like, someone just died, and someone else is about to die, and you're making snarky comments about his grooming procedures, right, which he obviously neglected to use properly. Snap, snap, snap. snap, snap. Oh. oh. Snap dog burn <laughs> why didn't you bite his legs instead of yeah. making snarky comments oh <laughs> see now i've got a visual i don't want just a little helpless dog i, I don't yeah, I feel like it's a small dog like when you read the story i felt like it was a small dog oh i totally read because it i was like, like uh... if it's like a golden retriever that thing would have just jumped on that dude see whenever i'm reading it i think golden, golden retriever, retriever. Nice. really i don't know i think a big dog would have attacked though probably i was thinking like elderly mutt of some sort Oh, like, like an a, older dog. Because he said uh, my younger sister and it said she was a teenager at one point. So I'm like, he'd have to be an older, older dog. dog. It was something like he treats her like a younger sister, but she's actually a little older. Which is still pretty old in dog years. Yeah. So older, poor pup. Little grandpa. It's just about that time. No, not the time to bury the bones. Not yet. We need them to stir the cauldron and scoop out a selection for Vivian. What you got? Ugh, it's like rooting around a pitcher of sangria. <laughs> All sorts of surprises in there. Yeah, that one moved. Ew. Is that a roach? I think so. They've changed. They've changed. So they've changed by Grail. My parents have been acting strange lately. Before now, they were loving, caring, and affectionate towards me. I was sheltered, yeah, but I didn't mind. I loved them. I was their only child, and they seemed to love me too. Now, the atmosphere within the house is so thick and humid that it's suffocating. Ever since I went on that trip to Mexico with my best friend, my parents have changed. Some things happened there that were unforgivable to my parents. My father, a well-respected man amongst our community, no longer looked me in the eye. His facial expression was cold, almost as if he gravely was disappointed in me, or himself. He, the head of the house, pulled my mother aside daily, giving her specific instructions he believed I couldn't hear as he whispered. My mother, what my father would call the weaker vessel, was a stay-at-home wife. She may not have held too much responsibility in her odd behavior, but she pushed her own daughter away the second her husband demanded. She no longer went out of her way to brag about her beautiful, brilliant daughter, Instead, she walked on eggshells around me, making it her mission to go out daily with her friends to avoid being alone in the house with me. I became a stranger to them, something tainted, ruined. And unfortunately, their odd behavior only increased as time progressed. My mother, the domestic one, began preparing my meals after she prepared her own and my father's. Not only were my meals prepped after theirs, my clothes were also washed separately. She went above and beyond my father's requests and completely severed the line between love and hate. I was a traitor to them, and I knew exactly why. 
At night, once my parents locked their bedroom door, I would listen in on their conversations. Routinely, my mother made a plea to my father that I attend a rehabilitation boarding school, but my father relentlessly denied her suggestion, reminding her that I would taint the other kids. They would go back and forth with different options, but nothing seemed to accommodate me, according to my father. Every discussion would end with my mother crying and my father attempting to comfort her as I swelled with rage outside of their bedroom door. Being that I had little control of my own actions, I would experience a terrible tantrum after listening to their late night discussions that would leave me kicking at their door, scratching at the walls violently, yelling obscenities, and violating my own home. I couldn't stomach them turning against me. I was their only child. They were supposed to do anything for me, and yet they were willing to support their morality in place of supporting their flesh and blood. Instead of going to bat for me, they carried on with their disturbing scheme against me. That's when I noticed critical changes. As my violent outbursts picked up, the lacing began. My mother didn't even have the decency to conceal her treacherous plans. Many times I saw the vial of poison atop the kitchen counter, sitting in plain view as if I was dumb enough not to notice. The clear liquid within the vial was odorless, which I'm sure my mother and father appreciated. Anytime I saw the vial, I avoided eating. I began dropping weight so fast that I could barely keep up my energy. My skin began to gray and my hair began to shed aggressively, but with my rebellion, my parents grew desperate. I watched on as my mother attempted to douse my clothing in the poison, hoping it would seep into my pores and kill me off before I did anything reckless again. Unfortunately for her, I refused to change clothes. The foul odor I gave off began permeating through the house after a few weeks went by. I refused to shower, thinking maybe my mother substituted my shampoo, body wash, and toothpaste with the poison. I didn't want to take the risk. That's when things escalated. For food, I began sneaking out of the house at night. Though I was raised in an extremely strict home, before my father became involved with the church, him and I regularly went hunting from time to time, him teaching me the basic tricks to catch small game. So I hunted, preying on easily caught game for sustenance hunting skills naturally increased with practice and I would regularly hunt bigger and better game, growing hungry with ambition. Eventually, though, my parents caught on to my absence. My mother, the one who paid me no mind previously, began noticing the bloodstains on my soiled clothing. I attempted to wash away the evidence after each hunt, but without the proper equipment and the ongoing poisoning which made me question anything that wasn't brand new, my efforts proved useless. In a panic, she informed my father, and naturally, and things intensified thereafter. Men began visiting the house, my father attempting to pass the visitors off as friends. He was lying. My father had no friends. He was reserved, as my mother was, and barely left the house outside of preaching. Those men were no friends of his. They were there to get rid of me, and my sus suspicion was confirmed soon after they began visiting. Joel, these men only want to talk to you, okay? My father started, loosening the band around his neck. I backed away, glancing back and forth between the two men approaching me. Regardless of my effort to flee and fight back, I found myself cornered. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever after shall be, world without end. They began chanting away. A priest pulled out his Bible, thrusting it before me as he read from its pages. As he chanted away, laughter escaped me. <laughs> you people are pitiful! Your God has no say, has no power here. Try as hard as you want. In the end, you'll see who's left standing. I announced, laughing. Still, they insisted on chanting their useless rhetoric. 
They continued spraying the holy water on me, burning my flesh unbearably as their chants increased in volume. However, their efforts were null and void. No matter how much poison they threw upon me, no matter how many prayers were delivered to my ears, they couldn't hurt me. They could only hurt their sweet, sweet child. Wastefully, they've been at the same routine for weeks, trying with all their might to get rid of me. Unbeknownst to them, I'm a tough one to get rid of. And I have no intentions of leaving anytime soon. Dun, dun, dun. See, that's another one that just kind of gets you at the end. You're not expecting it. Like, you're like, ooh, that's, what a twist. <laughs> what a twist. Also, how uncomfortable was it to read, like, the prayers and things like that? I was that? really uncomfortable, <laughs> thank you for that. Of course. Of course, I had to pick the one that has a holy prayer in it. That's fun. That figures. <laughs> Stings a little. Don't blame us, blame the cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid cauldron. I thought we were friends. <laughs> I thought you loved me, cauldron. How I love this season, so I do. Yes. do. <laughs> yes. It's spooky season. Yes. The air is crisp, the bonfires are burning, and the cauldrons are brimming with scary stories that make all the little children scream. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> or at least, we hope so. So what's up next for Jade? And the last body I ever cut open. Oh. Oh. Well, this sounds promising. Yeah. It does. By Gia. Nathaniel Lewis. Cool. Nathaniel Lewis. I remember the last body I ever cut open. Oh, boy, howdy. <laughs> boy, let me tell you. <laughs> it's nothing like the first, but you never forget your last. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Craig Brockwell was found by his wife, dead on their living room floor, a plastic garbage bag tied off around his neck, and an empty bottle of Xanax on the kitchen counter next to a suicide note. My initial external examination of the body revealed no indications of a physical altercation with another person. Skin deep, the evidence was consistent with suicide by pills and suffocation. I was prepared to judge it such when Detective David Franklin requested an autopsy. It just doesn't sit right with me, said David. I mean, this guy, he had it all. Pulling in millions, kids a superstar on the ball court, wife's a knockout, and then he goes and offs himself? I frowned. Depression can befall anyone, David, I said, and people can be quite adept at concealing it. Sure, Jim, sure, I get that. I guess that's not even what I'm talking about. It's just, you weren't there. At the scene, there was just... David looked around the room, though there was nobody else there. Something felt off, he said. That's all. What do you mean off? Is there some other evidence that I'm not aware of? David sighed. Look, let's just say that you do this one for me and I'll owe you. Take you out for beers later for a start. I looked down at Mr. Brockwell's corpse. Autopsies were invasive and expensive and generally I avoided them unless there was a good reason to perform one. That was up to my discretion, but I suppose that a detective's intuition was a good enough reason. It's not like David had made a habit of requesting autopsies. Okay, I said, I'll do the autopsy, but David, I don't drink. At the time, it was true that I didn't drink. I made an incision along the body's chest and set down my scalpel. A look at the lungs would tell me whether or not suffocation had indeed been the cause of death. I began to peel back the skin and muscle, 
As I did, I looked in shock to see that there was nothing there. When I say there was nothing there, I mean that it was totally black, like peering into a completely dark space, devoid of light. There should have been a rib cage there. There wasn't. There was nothing. I dropped the flaps of skin that I was holding and stood up. I shook my head. No. I thought, that's ridiculous. I knew that I had a headlamp around here somewhere. So I went looking for it. I pulled open a drawer, and that's when everything became silent. We grow accustomed to them, but we are surrounded constantly by sounds. The slight buzz of electric lights above us, the hum of the boiler in the basement, the sound of our own breath, the rustle of our clothes as we move, the sound of a drawer opening. None of it was there. It was as though I had gone completely deaf. I don't know why exactly, but I had a sudden urge to look at the body on my examination table. I turned my head, but it turned far slower than I intended, and as though I were losing control of my body, or time had slowed down, or the room had become thick with some invisible substance. The dead and naked body was just as I had left it. Of course, with the incision along its chest and the skin there curled back slightly from where I had begun to peel it, all at once a rush of sound returned to my ears, and my movements resumed their typical speed. I shook my head once again and turned back to the drawer. I found the headlamp, strapped it to my head, and went back to the body. I flipped on the light and opened the skin up again and gazed into utter darkness. There was nothing there. The darkness consumed the light from the headlamp. It seemed endless. I steadied myself and tore the skin back further. Instead of the rib cage and bits of tissue, there was only the nothingness. I tentatively stuck a finger into it. As soon as I did, the silence returned and everything slowed down again. My finger felt incredibly cold, like touching dry ice. As I withdrew it as quickly as I could, which was not very quickly at all, it was like coming out of quicksand, but once I was out, the expected pace of reality fell back into place. I jumped back and picked up my scalpel. I made a deep slice along the right thigh and pulled up the skin. More nothingness. I repeated the procedure on the left thigh to the same result. My hands were shaking and my mind was in blank shock. My mind was as empty as the body in front of me. Nothing could explain this. I walked around to the head and made a cut around the circumference of the crown. As I peeled the flesh away, there was nothing. As I stared into it, I froze. I stood holding the severed scalp, staring into the nothingness, unable to do anything else. I don't know for how long I was in the state but the sound of David's voice snapped me out of it sometime later. How's it going down there, Jim? I dropped the piece of dead flesh and hair that I had been holding and turned to look at David. This is very bizarre. I have never seen anything like this. I can't explain it. And how's that? Asked David. I pointed to the body. Just look, I said. David walked across the room and peered into the darkness. What the fuck? whispered. I, I don't know, I said. I, I don't know. David started reaching inside the head. I wouldn't do that, I cautioned. He ignored me and kept reaching. 
then his hand was inside the head. He froze suddenly, except for his eyelids, which opened wide in shock. David? I said. Pull your hand out. Now! David's eyes got even wider. He was trying to say something, but his lips wouldn't open. It came out muffled, but I had no doubt that what he was trying to say. Help. All at once, David jerked forward two feet so that he was now into the body up past his elbow. The look on his face grew more frantic and desperate. I grabbed onto his other arm and yanked, but it was no good. The body was stronger and was pulling him in, now up to the bicep. I watched in pure horror as the head seemed to expand in size, as if it were growing larger, so that it could suck in all of David. Instinct took over, and I ran to my tray of tools. I grabbed my bone saw and switched it on as I made my way back to David. I applied the saw to his shoulder, which was now mere inches away from the terrible maw of nothingness. I drove the saw in furiously, blood splattering on my face the muffled would-be screams of David trying to assert themselves over the whir of the saw. At last, I cut through the bone and David fell back on me, so that I hit the ground with him on top of me. I could see the last of his severed arm disappear into the nothingness. Now that his lips would open again, David was wailing in agony. I rolled out from underneath him and went to work on cauterizing the wound, praying that he wouldn't die. I paused long enough to dial 911 and explain the need for help over the speakerphone function as I performed the surgery. I sat by the hospital bed until David regained consciousness. He looked at me with terrified eyes and grabbed my wrist with his remaining hand, his fingernails digging into me. I saw it, said David. I still see it. Nothing. That is what I am and what you are. Everything is nothing. I broke free of his grip. That's absurd, I said. I don't know how to explain that body, but I know that I'm not nothing. David started laughing then. I left him at the hospital, went home, and had my first drink in two years. I knew that it was a horrible mistake, but I did it anyway, to wash away the horror. When I was drunk enough, I resolved to return to the morgue, determined to burn Craig Brockwell's body. I got in my car, like a monster, and drove, weaving across the road. When I arrived, I flung the door open, my mind and body overtaken by the alcohol. I looked into the room, and even through, the, through my drunken haze, it registered that something was very, very wrong. The body was gone. Craig Brockwell's attempted autopsy happened ten years ago. For a year afterwards, I drank. I lost my job, refusing to return back to work. I burned through my savings, and by the end of the year, I had hit rock bottom, as it's called. That was shortly after Detective David Franklin committed suicide. Now I have my life back together. I still have nightmares, but I have, for the most part, put the incident behind me. I have a loving family and a new career. I cannot express how grateful I am for this new life, but yesterday I saw something. I left my office at 5 p.m. as usual and walked across the parking lot to my car. I got in, started it up, and checked my rearview mirror. Standing there was a man. It was, unmistakably, David Franklin. I turned my head and looked out the back window. He was still there. He opened his mouth, and there inside was endless darkness. The world grew silent, and I watched, unable to move. 
as he lifted his only arm and pointed a finger at me. Then he turned and walked away. Classic story of your friend's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, uh, you didn't see what I saw, but I'm going to make sure you saw what I saw. But I'm going to make sure of it, damn it. I'm going to make damn sure. You took my arm. Also, yeah, but oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if you see an empty skull and you can't see a brain, like, you can't see what should be in a skull, why stick your hand yeah. in it? There's obviously nothing in there to stick your hand for. Like, yeah, what are you hoping to grab? What are you doing? It's like the whole <laughs> Here, continental just... shelf thing. Like, if yeah. you can't see ground, yeah, you don't go forward. You don't go forward. So if you don't see brain matter, don't don't shove your hand in somebody's brain cavity. Maybe don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. Maybe it's not a very good idea. Yeah. Probably not. Well, that and the guy told him not to. He said, "I wouldn't do that," and you ignored him. <laughs> what and did then I say? what did we learn? <laughs> what I say. To not to <laughs> and also you lived like yes you're down an right, arm but he down saved arm, your life he saved you from getting eaten by the void monster that lived inside of this guy's head yeah thank you for doing that now here endless nothingness yeah <laughs> my gift to you you're nothing no i'm not <sighs> you're, you're a poo-poo head <laughs> also i just kind of want to imagine like when the body got up and was like missing it kind of did a little bit of a dance to make sure all of its parts were still working it's like right. screwed the head back to screwed top the head back, back on. on put a little top hat on got a cane just tap danced right out the room did a little ditty <laughs> <laughs> and then just tap danced right on out of the room like you said and I was just imagining uh, Vivian because she says that she's the void. I'm I just am. imagining her like inside this guy's head, like yes, it's just Give you me inside your of hand. this dead body. Just it's just, just, just me. It's just me. Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> Want to see me, Jack the Ripper? <laughs> Which 100? percent That's that's a thing. That's what we're calling it now. Go away. There's no more room in here. <laughs> I'm king in here. Yeah, I'm king in here. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Ah! Ah! Oh, God. Hey, Sorry. I, I thought you said Mike. <laughs> ah! ah! Mikephobia. <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of uh, sticking your hands in things, yeah. Lauren, how about you stick your hand in here and see what you pull out? It wasn't a question, darling. Do it. Uh, okay, okay, fine. I didn't like when I did it last time. There was something squirming in there. I think something said help me. Actually, I'm pretty sure something said help me. One of the letters floating in there say help me. Oh, look at that. Alphabet soup. I might save that for later. <laughs> what I got. Oh, okay. So... This one, before I read it out loud, actually has a little bit of an explanation. It's not so much a creepy pasta as it is a ritual pasta, which, yes, is a thing. This is called the Midnight Game. The Midnight Game is an old pagan ritual used mainly as punishment for those who have broken the laws of the pagan religion in question. While it was mainly used as a scare tactic to not disobey the gods, there's still a very existent chance of death to those who play the Midnight Game. There's an even higher chance of permanent mental scarring. It's highly recommended that you do not play the midnight game. That's coming directly from us as well. We have to say, do not play the midnight game. I don't say that. Go I don't either. Play, play I it. do say that. Lawsuits. Play it to your heart's content. <laughs> not just don't blame you to us. do it. Just yeah. if you're going to do it, do it. I'm not sure being eaten by a demon is something you can sue someone for. 
Yeah, exactly. Not provable oh, yeah. in a court of law. Oh, yeah, because they're eaten. They can't. Okay. Okay, fine. Yeah. Who's going to file the lawsuit? Come get me. <laughs> <laughs> the demon from the indigestion he gets. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. So anyways, uh, it says do not play the midnight game. So I'll go ahead and say do not play the midnight game. <laughs> However, for those uh, few thrill seekers searching for a rush or those delving into obscure occult rituals, as we all often do, these are simple instructions on how to play. Do so at your own risk. Prerequisites. It must be exactly 12 a.m. when you begin performing the ritual, otherwise it will not work. Materials. You will need a candle, a piece of paper, a writing implement, matches or a lighter, salt, a wooden door, and at least one drop of your own blood. If you're playing with multiple people, which Side note, you really shouldn't do this, it's a pagan punishment, but I'm just reading. <laughs> if you're playing with multiple people, they will need their own of the aforementioned materials and they will have to perform the steps below accordingly. Step 1. Write your full name, first, middle, and last, on the piece of paper. Put at least one drop of blood on the paper and allow it to soak into the paper. Step 2. Turn off all the lights in the place you are doing this. Go to your wooden door and place the paper with your name on it in front of the door. Now, take out the candle and light it. Place it on top of the paper. Step three, knock on the door 22 times. The hour must be 12 a.m. upon the final knock. Then open the door, blow out the candle, and close the door. You've just allowed the midnight man to enter your house. Step four, immediately relight your candle. This is where the game begins. You must now lurk around your now completely dark house with the lit candle in your hand. Your goal is to avoid the Midnight Man at all costs until 3.33 a.m. Should your candle ever go out, that means the Midnight Man is near you. You must relight your candle in the next 10 seconds. If you're not successful in doing this, you must then immediately surround yourself with a circle of salt. If you are unsuccessful in both of your actions, the Midnight Man will create a hallucination of your greatest fear and rip out your organs one by one. Side note, is that what happened to the last guy in the story? The Midnight Man got him? <laughs> the Midnight Man got him and that's why there was nothing. <laughs> midnight Man got him and that's why there's nothing. As you were reading this, I'm pretty sure I played this as a kid. Right, it's kind of just one of those things that, that circles the drain a little bit. And yeah, it's kind of fun. But I keep on saying I didn't play it. And that's what that's the story I'm sticking to. I didn't play it. I don't believe you. <laughs> this is like Bloody Mary or like no. Candyman. 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 How many times was that I lost track? Four. <laughs> Candyman. <laughs> uh, and now we all die. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs> this is the farewell episode. <laughs> And then we were all attacked by bees. And then, oh, wait, what is that in the corner? Ah! <laughs> Getting back to the Midnight Man game. So he creates a hallucination of your greatest fear and rips out your organs one by one. You Who will feel... Oh, wow. Would you look at that? So he only had to do one thing. <laughs> he didn't need to make you hallucinate at all. Also, that's really good to know. We'll keep that in mind. You know, when you get bored with playing Majora's Mask. That used to belong to Ben. Don't worry about Ben. There's nothing Ben's to worry fine. about. He's fine. Ben's fine. He didn't drown or anything. No, he didn't. No, he's fine. That's such an odd <laughs> thing to throw in there. 
Yeah, that Ben didn't drown because yeah. he didn't. He, he didn't. Hushed. He didn't get in a car crash either, or, or no. die in a fire. Absolutely or not. He didn't. Nothing stuck happened his toe to Ben. On the ben is fine. Table. Now that he might have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So basically, it's saying that you will feel it, but you'll be unable to react. I imagine why. <laughs> If you are successful in creating the circle of salt, you must remain in there until 3.33 a.m. If you are successful in relighting your candle, you may proceed with the game. You must continue to 3.33 a.m. without being attacked by the Midnight Man or being trapped inside the circle of salt to win the Midnight Game. The Midnight Man will leave your house at 3.33 a.m. and you will be safe to proceed with your morning. That's kind of nice. Like at a certain time, he's like, nope, time to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm late. He clocks out for the night. Yeah. yeah, anytime I have a party at the house, I have to have one of those banners that says be out by by nine. But the Midnight Man, no, he, he's got a time and he sticks to he's it. very punctual. You are a very good friend, Midnight Man. Addition. Indications that you are near the Midnight Man will include sudden drop in temperature, seeing a pure black humanoid figure through the darkness, and hearing very soft whispering coming from an indiscernible source. If you experience any of these, it's advised that you leave the area to avoid the Midnight Man. Do not turn on any of the lights during the game. Do not use a flashlight during the Midnight Game. Do not go to sleep during the Midnight Game. Do not attempt to use another person's blood on your name. Do not use a lighter as a substitute for a candle. It will not work. And definitely do not attempt to provoke the Midnight Man in any way. Even when the game is over, he will always be watching you. Good luck. You're going to need it. I'm pretty sure I broke those rules as a child. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like I discovered a loophole. Ooh, do tell. In this. Oh. So what's to prevent you from once you do all this thing and you shut the door and blah, 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 and you invite him in? immediately not just when you relight your candle just put the ring of salt there and go ha ha fucker and just stay in it for the whole night <laughs> that's what it suggests you just stay in the circle of salt like but it says you have to creep around your house and like avoid him like this is this weird demonic game of hide and seek like no fuck that i'm just gonna make the circle of salt jump in it and be like i'm be here for the next six hours fucker come get me <laughs> i'm gonna just hang here <laughs> the circle of salt around like a recliner it just, just <laughs> it says not to sleep, but I'm in the circle of salt. Fuck you! I'm gonna watch Netflix and fucking sit here and just like watch you just loom outside of my circle while I flip you off. Right. It didn't say anything about reading. Can I have a book and read by candlelight and yeah. get a really bad headache later from it? <laughs> what I love is this is a pagan ritual, yet it says no flashlights. No flashlights. Because like, sure the druids the totally use flashlights. flashlights. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, there's nothing that says you just can't immediately get into the circle of salt. I'm like, why would I play, you know, fucking tag with this fucking thing <laughs> in a dark house when I can just, what's that? A circle of salt protects me. Awesome. Guess where I'm staying for the next six hours. I mean, that's helpful, too, because what if you just live in an apartment and there's only like so much space that you have? Like, right. I'm going to go over to this corner. Oh, it's kind of cold here. I might as well go a couple feet over here. It's still kind of cold over here, but hey, at least not that corner it's anymore. A salt circle full of, you know, a comfy chair, my laptop, and snacks. What uh, if you put salt all around the perimeter of yeah, the Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, what yeah. if you did that and he, just, he's like, fuck, you can't come in now. <laughs> he's like, come on. He's standing guys, at the door like, I took the subway. Come on. Come on. I'm here until 3.33, you know. I don't have anything to do. I can't just go get boba. Like, <laughs> I'm the midnight fucking be. man. 
Do you think they order me a pizza? Do you think they sell boba to midnight people? They don't. They fucking don't. Because they fucking don't. Because guess what? They can't see me. I didn't bring my wallet anyways. Thanks. (laughs) So could you Postmates me something since I'm going to be here for a while? (laughs) I'm going to be here a bit. I'm going to be here for a No. Being a dick to demons. No. Because I said there I need to eat food in front of him. Mmm, so good. These gummy bears are delicious. <laughs> I bet you wish you could have some, don't you, Midnight Man? Mm. Oh, fuck. We're not supposed to taunt him. But wow. again, circle Too of bad. salt. I'm in a circle of salt. What the fuck is he going to do? I don't know. It says do not taunt him. Because he's going to cry. That's what he's going to do. He's going to cry. If you're going to taunt me, I'm just going to start crying. And no one wants to see the Midnight Man cry. He just turns on the hose and (gasps) sends the Roomba after the salt. I don't have a Roomba, so fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck robots. Fuck robots. Wait. Did you hear that? What was that? That awful growling sound. Guys, I think it's coming from inside the cauldron. Oh, okay, it's just saying that it's ready for us to choose another story. Pray for Vivian. And for our editor, Quincy, who's (laughs) breaking the room. (laughs) That's why you don't taunt the Midnight Man. This is why we don't taunt the Midnight Man. (laughs) Or pray for Vivian. This is what happens when you pray for me. We told you not to do it. Yeah, see, she'd prefer you not. So don't pray for Vivian. Let's try this again. Cauldron, behave yourself. <laughs> All right. What do you feel in there? A lot of things. <laughs> a lot of gooey things. A lot of a lot of things. <laughs> uh, so I got teeth. You know how there are some memories that never leave you? Ones that set up shop in your mind and are there every time you close your eyes? Even for a moment. You blink and there they are. The kind of memories that tie little knots in the deep strands of your mind that no amount of booze could loosen. This case is one of those. It's one I'll never forget. So I thought by writing it down, it might help to purge some demons. So here goes. It was December, about six days before Christmas. The snow was coming down, a light harmless snow, the glamorous Hollywood kind you see in the movies or on TV shows. The type that barely sticks to anything and is for little more than just show. Though it makes you breathe a sigh of relief knowing that you probably won't have to break your arm scraping that shit off your car windows the next morning. I was heading home when I got the call. It was a bad scene, dispatch said. And if dispatch tells you it's a bad scene, you'd better fucking steal your guts and prepare. They don't ever use those words lightly. So I turn, heading to the south side of town. It was just on the other side of the river. Not a bad area of town, but not Knob Hill either. The call came from an apartment building on the block. One of those old knockovers that had been an office building in a previous life and had been converted into lofts for the young artsy set. A small fortune paid for a lot of shit in asbestos, I thought, but what the fuck do I know? I parked and got out of my car. The ambulance was already there, its blue and red lights flashing in pools of alternating light across the walk path of tramp down snow. A patrol car was across from it, one of its back doors wide open. The officer was sitting on the back bench seat facing out into the street. His head in his hands and his shoulders sunken down like the weight of this world and the next pressed down on them. I noticed a small pile of vomit on the ground between his patent leather uniform shoes, small curls of steam exuding up from it into the cold air. It's bad, Sarge. It's bad, was all he could manage, shaking his head as he spoke. He never looked at me. I squared my shoulders and headed to the stairs. The apartment in question was about five flights, 
uh, top floor, of course. I cursed under my breath as I made my way up the painted concrete steps as quick as I could. There was no question which was the apartment we had been called about. A gaggle of wide-eyed neighbors and other officers stood out in the hallway. Whispers of shock and disgust hummed through the small crowd of pale faces. I'd seen such gatherings countless times outside before a crime scene, so I simply flashed my badge and pushed past the stunned onlookers in the hallway. The front half of the home was undisturbed, perfectly neat and tidy without so much as a picture frame out of place. A small Christmas tree sat in the corner, multicolored lights blinking an array of rainbow patterns against the partially covered brick walls. Nothing out of the ordinary. The bedroom was another story. The victim was still in the room, in the process of being hastily loaded onto a stretcher. The pillow that was on the bed was thoroughly soaked with blood. Smears and handprints in the same crimson were scattered frantically across the sheets. The window in the bedroom was open, letting the frozen air from outside in enough that we were starting to see our own breath. The stretcher was just being wheeled out when the flashing lights from the collected emergency vehicles outside gave me my first glimpse of the victim's face. Well, what was left of it, anyway. The cheeks had been split from the corners of the mouth all the way back to the earlobes. The folds of flesh pulled back to lay the gums and jaw bare on one side. Where teeth should have been was a mass of bloody gums and empty sockets. Roots and nerves protruding from the holes that had hours ago securely held teeth. Every single tooth from the front all the way back to the molars on the left side of the face had been strategically plucked. And not gently either. The bruises on the neck and around the eye socket showed evidence of that. The victim tried to weakly grab at me as they wheeled past, gurgling and sputtering through the gaping hole left in his face. His eyes wide with what I can only pray was the onset of shock. It was only then, close up, that I saw the reason that no one had reported any screaming coming from the scene of this vicious attack. His tongue had been cut out, leaving nothing but a bloody stub. God forgive me, I jumped back in primal fear away from his pleading grasp. I couldn't help it. I was lost for a moment in complete shock when the other detective on the scene called to me. Holy shit, Sarge, what do you make of this? He stood near the open window. The painted sill and the glass pane were smeared with tiny bloody hand and footprints, no bigger than like what a child would make. In his hand he held a small piece of folded paper, which he carefully handed to me. I opened the note, and in a strangely scrawled script it said, Thank you for the tea. I will be back for the rest. Help the tooth fairy. I never forgot that night, but I'll tell you one thing for damn sure. I never sleep with my windows unlocked anymore. And I am doing the rest of this episode with my hands around my mouth. <laughs> right. As somebody who has marshmallow teeth already. It wouldn't take much to pull yours out then. It wouldn't take much to pull mine out. Okay, so I would be a pretty good victim for this. They'd be like, plink, plink, plink. Well, that was easy. <laughs> oh, that was easy. And I'd be like, what happened? Huh? <laughs> you owe me money. <laughs> Not so fast, you little freak. <laughs> Not so fast, freak. Please leave my tongue. <laughs> Please leave yeah. my tongue. I won't scream. I, won't I didn't scream. scream. <laughs> it's fine. Just take my teeth. It's fine. Just take my teeth. I don't care. Just leave me money. So who wrote that one? I did. <gasps> you did. I did. Yay, our own Vivian Noir. I did write that one. Yay. Yay You're me. fucked up. I am. <laughs> you know what's funny about that one? I actually submitted, there's a site that will let you submit. They're like, we don't care. You can submit whatever you want. Ugh. And I was like, all right, let me submit this one. <laughs> all right. 
<laughs> Let me test that theory. And they were they flagged it and they wouldn't publish it. Aw, fuckers. Yeah. They were like, I was like, oh, so publish anything, huh? That's the biggest compliment you can get, though. Right? I guess. They were like, no, this is too They sadistic. were like, it's too violent. Oh my god. Like, I didn't violent. post it in the goddamn children's section. I posted <laughs> it in the horror area, and I'm like... Uh, I know, I know. Story. It says Tooth Fairy. That doesn't mean it's for kids. Exactly. <laughs> it's too violent. <laughs> also, you didn't describe the violence. I mean, you described the aftermath. Right. But, like, I didn't describe them like, you know, anything... their face being butchered by the yeah. Tooth Fairy. <laughs> <laughs> it's too violent. <laughs> so, as well you know, the ghoul babes love a scary story or two. And where is the best place to find more of these scary stories besides in the no sleep thread on Reddit? Audible.com. That's where. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> you can choose from thousands of horror novels and books at the push of a button. And even better news, just for you, loyal and spooky listeners of this spooky show, Audible is offering a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash this spooky show to get started today. We can delay the darkness no longer. It's creeping in all around us. And actually, it's not so bad. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Maybe we can get a decent night's sleep for once, right? I feel at home. Anyway, it's Jade's turn again. The cauldron demands it. Oh, no. (laughs) And if the cauldron demands it, we must do it. What you feel in there? I feel apprehension and (laughs) utter despair. And something that feels like jello. It's probably not jello. A story to scare my son. Ooh, that one's a good one. Sounds like a step dick. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a good story. We shall see. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, a story to scare my son by Oven Friend. Son, we need to have a chat about internet safety. I slowly crumpled down onto the floor next to him. His laptop was open and he was playing Minecraft on a public server. His eyes were locked into the action. Comments scrolled down the side of the screen in the chat box. Son, can you stop your game for a minute? He exited the world, closed the laptop, and looked up at me. Dad, is this going to be another cheesy scary story? What? I faked hurt feelings for a second, and then grinned at him. I thought you liked my cautionary tales. He grew up listening to my stories about children who encountered witches, ghosts, werewolves, and trolls. Like many generations of parents, I used scary stories to reinforce morals and teach lessons about safety. Single dads like me should use all the parenting tools at their disposal. He scrunched his face a little. They were fine when I was six, but now that I'm getting older, they don't scare me anymore. They seem kind of silly. If you're going to tell me a story about the internet, can you at least make it really, really scary? I squinted at him incredulously. He folded his arms. Dad, I'm ten, and I can handle it. Hmm. Okay, I'll try. I began. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Colby. His expression indicated that he wasn't impressed with the terror of the introduction. He sighed deeply and settled in for one of Dad's cheesy stories. I continued. Colby went online and joined several children's websites. After a while, he started talking to other kids in-game and on the message boards. He made friends with another 10-year-old boy named Helper23. 
They liked the same video games and shows. They laughed at each other's jokes. They explored new games together. After several months of friendship, Colby gave Helper 23 six diamonds and a game they were playing. This was a very generous gift. Colby's birthday was coming up and Helper 23 wanted to send him a cool present in real life. Colby figured it wouldn't hurt to give Helper 23 his home address, as long as he promised not to tell it to any strangers or grown-ups. Helper 23 swore he wouldn't tell anyone else, not even his own parents, and set about mailing the package. I paused the story and asked my son, Do you think that was a good idea? No! He said, shaking his head vigorously. In spite of himself, he was getting into the story. Well, neither did Colby. Colby felt guilty about giving away his home address, and his guilt began to grow, and grow. By the time he put on his pajamas the next night, his guilt and fear were larger than anything else in his life. He resolved to admit the truth to his parents. The punishment would be steep, but it was worth it to have a clear conscience. He squirmed in his bed as he waited for his parents to tuck him in. My son knew the scary part was coming up. In spite of his tough talk, he leaned forward, wide-eyed. I spoke quietly and deliberately. He heard all the noises of the house. The washing machine bounced around in the laundry room. Branches scraped against the brick outside his room. His baby brother cooed in the nursery, and there were some other noises he couldn't quite pinpoint. Finally, his dad's footsteps echoed down the hall. Hey, Dad, he called out nervously. I have something to tell you. His dad stuck his head in the doorway at a weird angle. In the darkness, his mouth didn't seem to move, and the eyes were all wrong. Yes, son? The voice was way off, too. Are you okay, Dad? The boy asked. Uh-huh, sung the father in his strangely affected voice. Colby moved the covers up defensively. Um, is Mom around? Here I am. Mom's head popped into the doorway below Dad's. Her voice was an unnatural falsetto. Were you about to tell us you gave our home address to Helper 23? You shouldn't have done that. We told you never to give out personal information on the internet. She continued. He wasn't really a kid. He just pretended to be one. Don't you know what he did? He came to our house, broke in, and murdered both of us. Just so he could spend some time with you. A fat man in a wet jacket emerged in the child's doorway, holding two severed heads. Colby shrieked and gasped as the man dropped the heads on the ground, unsheathed his knife, and moved into the room to work on the boy. My son screamed too. He twisted his hands defensively over his face, but we were just getting started with the story. After several hours, the boy was almost dead and his screams had become whimpers. The killer noticed the wailing of a baby in the other room and removed his knife from Colby. This was a special treat. He had never murdered a baby before and was excited about the prospect. Helper 23 left Colby to die and followed the cries through the house like a homing beacon. In the nursery, he walked to the crib, picked the baby up, and held it in his arms. He moved towards the changing table to get a better look, but as he held the baby, the crying died down. The baby looked up and smiled. Helper 23 had never held a baby, but he gently bounced it in his arms like a pro. He wiped his bloody hands on the blanket so he could stroke the baby's cheek. 
Hey there, sweet little guy. The beautiful rage of sadism melted into something warmer and softer. He walked out of the nursery, took the baby home, named him William, and raised him as his very own. After I finished the story, my son was visibly shaken. Between ragged staccato breaths, he stammered, but, but, but dad, my name's William. I gave him a classic dad wink and tousled his hair. Of course it is, son. William ran up the stairs to his bedroom in a fury of sobs. But deep down, I think he liked the story. Penny's Dad's a dick. <laughs> See, you're right. Dad's a dick. <laughs> so, final thoughts about that story. What'd you guys think? Penny, for your thoughts? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. I thought we were past, past a do. Oh. Or a pun. Pasta do. Past I'm out of here. Help I'm me. gone. That's it. Help me. <laughs> if anybody out there is listening to this, please, we're trapped with a mad woman. <laughs> I need to throw these in for posterity. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> and they just keep coming. The hits just keep rolling. <laughs> if I had any state secrets, I'd talk. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I told you it wasn't impossible. <laughs> the editor just pointed out something kind of fun. He wants me to say the word lava beans. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's feeling quite saucy today. <laughs> yes, yeah, a lava bean sauce. <laughs> what would that be? Probably like a... Something spicy, obviously. Something sulfury, yes. That would taste terrible. (laughs) The smell would be awful. That would taste like dookie. (laughs) I'm I'm out of puns right now. So, (laughs) for now. God. For now. (laughs) For now. (laughs) For now. Just you wait. (laughs) Oh, no. Just us. Just us wait. (laughs) So, because of my pun research, I hadn't the time to stop for death. So... Instead, he stopped for that poor sucker I pushed off the curb and in front of his car. Well, not stopped so much as ran over. Anyway, now that I'm stuck in hell doing this, pick another story, Lauren. Would you? Sounds like you're wanted for murder. I mean, (laughs) as I pick this story, let's talk about how we're going to shield you from the police. (laughs) All right. See what I got. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Here's one that I think everybody should know. This one's called Candle Cove by Chris Straub. Skies Hail 033. Subject, Candle Cove, local kids show. Does anyone remember this kids show? It was called Candle Cove, and I must have been maybe six or seven. I never found reference to it anywhere, so I think it was on a local station around 1971 or maybe 1972. I lived in Ironton at the time. I don't remember which station, but I do remember it was on at a weird time, like 4 o'clock p.m. Mike underscore painter 65. It seems really familiar to me. I grew up outside of Ashland, and I was nine years old in 72. Candle Cove. Was it about pirates? I remember a pirate marionette at the mouth of a cave talking to a little girl. Skies hail 033. Yes! Okay, I'm not crazy. I remember Pirate Percy. I was always kind of scared of him. 
He looked like he was built from parts of other dolls, real low budget. His head was an old porcelain baby doll, looked like an antique that didn't belong on the body. I don't remember what station this was. I don't think that it was WTSF, though. Jaren underscore 2005. Sorry to resurrect this old thread, but I know exactly what show you mean, Skyshale. I think Candle Cove ran for only a couple months in 71, not 72. I was 12, and I watched it a few times with my brother. It was Channel 58, whatever station that was. My mom would let me switch to it after the news. Let me see what I remember. It took place in Candle Cove, and it was about a little girl who imagined herself to be friends with pirates. The pirate ship was called the Laughing Stock, and Pirate Percy wasn't a very good pirate because he got scared too easily. And there was Calliope music constantly playing. Don't remember the girl's name. Janice or Jade or something. I think it was Janice. Skyshail 033. Thank you, Jaren. Memories flooded back when you mentioned the laughing stock in Channel 58. I remember the bow of the ship was a wooden smiling face with the lower jaw submerged. It looked like it was swallowing the sea and it had that awful Ed Wynn voice and laugh. I especially remember how jarring it was when they switched from the wooden plastic model to the foam puppet version of the head that talked. Mike underscore painter 65. Haha, <laughs> I remember now too. Do you remember this part, Skyshale? You have to go inside. Skyshale 033. Ugh, Mike, I got a chill reading that. Yes, I remember. That's what the ship always told Percy when there was a spooky place he had to go in, like a cave or a dark room where the treasure was. And the camera would push in on Laughingstock's face with each pause. You have to go inside. With his two eyes askew and that flopping foam jaw and the fishing line that opened and closed it. Ugh. It just looks so cheap and awful. You guys remember the villain? He had a face that was just a handlebar mustache above really tall, narrow teeth. Kevin underscore heart. I honestly, honestly thought the villain was Pirate Percy. I was about five when the show was on. Nightmare fuel. Jaren underscore 2005. That wasn't the villain, the puppet with the mustache. That was the villain's sidekick, Horace Horrible. He had a monocle too, but it was on top of the mustache. I used to think that meant he only had one eye. But yeah, the villain was another marionette. The skin taker. God, I can't believe what they let us watch back then. Kevin underscore heart. Jesus H. Christ, the skin taker. What kind of kids show were we watching? I seriously could not look at the screen when the skin taker showed up. He just descended out of nowhere on his strings, like a dirty skeleton wearing that brown top hat and cape, and his glass eyes that were too big for his skull. Christ almighty. Skies hail, 033. Wasn't his top hat and cloak all sewn up crazily? Was that supposed to be, like, children's skin? Mike underscore painter, 65. Yeah, I think so. Remember his mouth didn't open and close, his jaw just slid back and forth. I remember the little girl said, Why does your mouth move like that? And the skin taker didn't look at the girl, but at the camera and said, To grind your skin! Skies hail, 033. I'm so relieved that other people remember this terrible show. I used to have this awful memory, a bad dream I had where the opening jingle ended, the show faded in from black, and all the characters were there, but the camera was just cutting to each of their faces, and they were just screaming. 
and the puppets and marionettes were flailing spastically and just all screaming. Screaming. The girl was just moaning and crying like she had been through hours of this. I woke up many times from that nightmare. I used to wet the bed when I had it. Kevin underscore heart. I don't think that was a dream. I remember that. I remember that was an episode. Skies hail 033. No, 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 not possible. There was no plot or anything. I mean, literally just standing in place crying and screaming for the whole show. Kevin underscore heart. Maybe I'm manufacturing the memory because you said that, but I swear to God I remember seeing what you described. They just screamed. Jaren underscore 2005. Oh God, yes. The little girl Janice. I remember seeing her shake and the skin taker screaming through his gnashing teeth, his jaw careening so wildly I thought it would come off of its wire hinges. I turned it off and that was the last time I watched. I ran to tell my brother and we didn't have the courage to turn it back on after that. Mike underscore painter 65. I visited my mom today at the nursing home. I asked her about when I was little in the early 70s, when I was eight or nine, and she remembered a kid's show, Candle Cove. She said she was surprised I could remember that, and I asked why. And she said, Because I used to think it was so strange that you said, I'm gonna go watch Candle Cove now, Mom. And then you would tune the TV to static and just watch dead air for 30 minutes. You had a big imagination with your little pirate show. Creepy. Very creepy. Creepy pirate puppets that other people remember. I love that, though. But it didn't really happen. <laughs> in, in high school, I used to read all the creepypastas, and then when we were doing the research for this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking research all these these stories that I should already know. This is going to be a snap. And could not for the life of me find any of them. It was like they never existed. Weird. Yeah. It's very weird. So it's very really funny like... that I, I picked this one right, out like, of the cauldron. It's like you imagined them. <laughs> it's like I imagined all they of them. They were written stories. only for your eyes and then they disappeared. Oh, I feel so special. So special. <laughs> <laughs> so are you scared yet? Yes. I can see that you are. <laughs> I'm watching you right now. That's okay. I won't hurt you. Not until Vivian finishes her next story, at least. Cauldron, cauldron, what's in the cauldron? Oh, there's more things in here. Mm. Is that a foot? A whole ass foot in that cauldron? I, it's, it's a whole foot and an ass. I think I so <laughs> Combined. Oh, wow. Oh, there's so many things. I... The fun house. Oh. The pink song? I oh, think, the pink song. I don't think so. <laughs> I would sing it, but copyright. Yeah. Please don't sue us, Look it up. Pink. So this one is from the Creepypasta Wiki. I don't see an author listed. The dusk air was clogged with the scents of deep fried food. The air clouded with the exclamations of hundreds of happy carnival goers as they sped through the rides with reckless abandon. It was the perfect evening. The joyous atmosphere filling the hearts and minds of everyone there with enough fun to last until the next adventure. I couldn't help but smile my brightest, widest grin. It was the season of carnivals, fairs, and outdoor festivals. The sweet smell of cotton candy washed over the land like a flash flood. 
The bright emerald of my eyes swept over the masses, spying large, overstuffed animals bobbing through the crowd as children and adults alike totted their prizes through the fairgrounds. Everyone here tonight was a child at heart, including myself. Spying one of my favorite carnival treats, the Fun House, I giddily trotted over towards the old converted trailer in search of those infamous mirrors and cheap pranks. My friends had all gone in search of their favorite greasy fair delicacies, leaving me to my own devices. While I disliked going on most of the rides by my lonesome, I could more than handle the various mysteries inside the Fun House. After all, they were mostly geared to scare children. Most of them I had seen a million times, and at most provided me a chuckle or two. Once in a while, something would jump out and startle me, but even then the prank was met with laughter. It was a fun house after all. I dug a few tickets from my pocket, taking inventory as I read the sign outside the old trailer. A young Hispanic man stood by the door, his smile only broken by a sip from a fresh ice-cold lemonade he held in his right hand. As people entered, he would smile and nod, placing their tickets in his pocket. It was five tickets to enter. I had exactly seven. What a fine way to end a magical night at the fair. Passing the little light blue squares of paper off to the vendor, I merrily stepped up the stairs and into the dark interior of the large refurbished trailer. I had to blink a few times to adjust my eyes to the light. Pausing for just a moment, I pulled the length of my long red hair back over my shoulder and secured it with a purple hair tie for my left wrist. I was ready to have some fun, all by my lonesome. As I began down the tiny dark corridor, I could hear the echoes of the people who had entered before me chuckling and squealing. I heard a couple up ahead. The woman giggling like a schoolgirl after her boyfriend, or male counterpart, I should say, instead of making assumptions, let out a frightened cry. I quietly uttered a chuckle. Men seemed to be the biggest chickens when it came to these type of thrills. As I rounded the first dark corner, I was met with my first scare. An old prop of a hanging man flew out from the way, its limbs flailing about limply from the sudden jolt that had forced it from its place on the wall. I jumped, my body flooded with an anxious tingling that seemed to dissipate out through my fingers and toes. I chuckled pushing the dummy aside as I brushed further into the funhouse. There was something odd. As my fingers had pushed against the prop, it had felt slightly warm and gooey. Great effects. Perhaps they had actually put some effort into things this year. After a couple feet, a ghastly glowing sheet came flying across the ceiling, accompanied by the familiar ghostly sounds that Halloween had made famous. My green sights followed the sheet until it disappeared into a back wall. Without a thought, I made my way further down the hall. Before long, I came to another corridor, my face almost meeting the black wall rather abruptly if not for my toes hitting the painted cardboard. I blinked, squinting a moment to gather my bearings again. It was easy to get lost in places like this, the black interior and lack of lighting leaving you disoriented and easier to spook. Before I had time to recover my encounter with the wall, there was a horrifying shriek, followed by another cheap prop dislodging from the wall. I let out a squeal of surprise, falling back onto the floor as the dummy swung back and forth in front of me. It had several flashing LED lights scattered around it in odd places. I chuckled as I plucked myself back up off the floor, gave my butt a rub or two, my cheeks a little sore from the tumble. It was nothing big, especially not compared to the thrills I was getting this time around. I started off again, the dummy having the same warm gooey texture as the last. This time, however, my fingers came away wet. I frowned a bit as I wiped them off on my jeans, probably glue from those little dollar store LED lights. Perhaps the vendor could offer me some wet wipes afterwards. It would only be right, since it was their sloppiness that had caused it. There were several more props that dislodged from dark walls, their little trap doors squeaking as they popped open to spit out some thrills. Various pained cries, shrieks, and Halloween sound effects echoed through the halls. I couldn't hear any more people in the trailer. They must have made it out already. I was having a blast, my voice bouncing through the darkness with chuckles and squeals. 
I hadn't thought twice about the grotesque creativity used in the props, most of the dummies appearing rather lifelike in the dark. To me, they were simply an improvement on the same old funhouse spiel. It was nice to see and feel some effort being put into this carnival classic. After about five minutes, I came to a door, my hands finding the knob before I even realized what was in front of me. I attempted to turn it, but it wouldn't budge. Frowning, I froed my brow in frustration. Removing my attention from the door, I felt my way around the hall around me, running my fingers along the black walls. There didn't seem to be another way through. Maybe it was just jammed. I leaned my body into the door, hands furled tightly as they could around the little handle. I noticed something strange when I pressed up against the door. There was a low mechanical hum coming from behind it. I paused, pressing my ear to the black entryway as I listened intently for any other sounds. Perhaps it was the generator outside that powered the entire funhouse. Shrugging it off, I lofted a little sigh of disappointment as I realized the door was not going to budge. I'd taken a wrong turn, obviously. Prepared to turn around and shuffle my way back to find the correct path, I slipped in something wet on the floor. Immediately, my stomach churned as my mind raced to assumptions. Ugh, somebody had probably thrown up in here. Either from fear or intoxication, and I just stepped in it. Disgust rushed through me, quickly dispelling the happy vibe that had followed me around all evening. What a great way to end the night. Now focusing more on my surroundings, I began to notice a smell. It didn't reek of vomit, but rather it was a bitter, metallic smell. Oil from the generator? No, it was a little different. More bittersweet. I scrunched my nose before heading back down the corridor. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. I had to be close to the end by now. I had a sudden desire to go find my friends and head home for the night. My fun had been ruined by someone else's bad luck. At least I wasn't the only one who had wandered down the wrong tunnel. Dragging my fingers along the walls, I searched for another passage. It only took a moment or two before my fingers slid around a corner to my right. I don't know how I managed to miss it before, but I hurried around and turned the corner. My face smacked right into another prop as I rounded the corner. I shrieked with sudden shock, my body instinctively falling back away from whatever it had just run into. As I glanced up toward the source of the thrill, several LED lights flickered on and off behind it, one of those cheap Halloween sound effects blaring in the background. What I saw in those few short-lived green flashes horrified me. This time I got a good look at the dummy. Almost every last inch of its frame covered in what looked like blood. From the chest down into the stomach cavity was torn open. Fresh sausage-looking guts poured onto the floor. It hung suspended by its neck from the ceiling. As I sat there on the floor, another bright green flash erupted behind it. It was then that the true terror struck me. Terrified eyes rolled down towards me, peering directly into my own. That was no dummy. Completely encompassed by the onset of sudden fear, my body went into overdrive. As my limbs began to flail beneath me in an attempt to get up, I began to slip on the blood that had pooled on the floor. My heartbeat feverishly beating against the walls of my chest, my breathing flying out of control as I began to drown in my own panic. All those dummies, those props, they were real. I began to whimper as it all began to sink in. Digging my heels down into the floor as best I could, I pushed myself back, crab walking back down the corridor in search of an exit. Losing track of time, I crawled frantically through the dark hallway for what seemed like forever until I felt it was safe to turn around. I wanted out of that freakish house of horrors immediately. That was no fun house. Rolling onto all fours, I became suddenly horribly aware of the racket I was making. How long had I been whimpering? Had somebody heard me? Paralyzing fear threatened to break down the door to my subconscious as I crawled on all fours back the way I had come. I needed to get out of here immediately. Whoever was killing these people might still be in there, and I didn't want to meet them. At long last, I saw a brightening of the black, heavy-duty cardboard walls of the 
quote-unquote fun house. I gasped a sigh of relief, hot tears beginning to pour down my face as I hurried towards the exit. Sunlight became more apparent as I crawled, its weak last rays fighting for life against the twilight. There was shuffling behind me now in the corridor, and a low scraping sound. I whimpered loudly, my voice jagged with pure horror. I was almost out of this place. At last I reached the door, away from which I had entered. Throwing my hands out of the door, I curled my finger over the door jamb to thrust myself forward and on down the stairs. As my body rolled out onto the grass, a loud cry of frustration echoed from inside the trailer. I didn't waste any time, rolling onto my stomach and pushing myself up onto my feet. Again, my emerald eyes rolled around the crowd, their terrified faces gawking at me as I rose up to my full height. I didn't wait. I didn't stop. Breaking out into tears, I pushed through the crowd, leaving bloody handprints on t-shirts and bare shoulders. I wanted to get out of there right now. When I finally found my friends, they gathered around me in an effort to comfort my trembling frame. By then, I was uncontrollably crying, my salty tears leaving streaks in the bright red blood from the funhouse. Security had already been called, and it took them very little time to find me. They had stormed the funhouse, quickly discovering the grisly remains of 11 people. The culprit had yet to be found, but they were scouring the grounds as they questioned me. I only half listened. The crowds of hundreds of people and their oversized stuffed animals suddenly terrified me. One of them, any one of them, could have been the culprit. Brava. Brava. I feel like that one was kind of predictable. A little bit. It's actually. It was a little predictable. It's actually funny that you read that one today because I just watched Hellfest, which is the one where they go to this uh, like haunted house type thing. It's this whole big carnival. And uh, there's someone going around killing people, but right. everybody thinks nothing of it because it's... Because it's, oh, it's a haunted house. And I think there's every year, at least every year around Halloween, there's always that, like, that one scare story of, like, oh, it was a haunted house, but there were real bodies in it. <laughs> like, and it never is real. So it's like, that one just kind of felt a little... It was well written, but it was just felt a little predictable. Oh, yeah. I will say, working in haunted houses, though, we used to make that joke all the time if somebody pissed us off, like, I know where to hide a body. Right. <laughs> Why not take that opportunity? <laughs> I know. It, it, they just blend right in. People are just kind of like, wow, that's so it's lifelike. So, and then so they move like. on. Especially yeah. with technology now. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a dummy. It's just, just a, a model. It's just fake blood. Don't worry about it. Do you imagine hiding a body in Disneyland? Oh. <laughs> Shudder. It's a small world after all. <laughs> a very, very small world. <laughs> I hate that ride. Awful. At one point, because I didn't catch on. Well, I mean, I kind of had a thought, but then when I like realized for sure, I like looked over and was like, "They're real people. They're real people. Soylent is people. <laughs> Soylent Green is people. <laughs> to serve man, it's a cookbook." <laughs> <laughs> now you may notice, Spooky Nation, that we have one quite famous creepypasta that we haven't touched on today. One that everybody knows pretty well, unfortunately, due to some true crime shenanigans. Of course, we were talking about Slenderman. We can't go a single episode without talking about true crime. It's we true. really no, can't. We really can't. It's fun. It's one of the original creepypasta memes created back in June 2009 on Something Awful Internet Forum by Eric Knudsen. Knudsen said he pulled inspiration of the character of Slenderman from such sources as Stephen King's The Mist, The Tall Man from the 1979 movie Phantasm, and games like Silent Hill and Resident Evil. Slenderman soon went viral and spawned numerous works of fan art, cosplay, and saw the birth of creepypasta, or small microfiction short scary stories that were copied across various websites and forums. A mythos soon grew around the character and, divorced from its original creator, took on a life of its own. 
That life soon took a dark turn around May 31, 2014, when two 12-year-old girls in Waukesha, Wisconsin, held down and stabbed a fellow 12-year-old classmate 19 times. When the girls were questioned by police, they claimed to have communicated with Slenderman and had wished to commit a murder in an attempt to become proxies for him as they had read online. They also expressed fear that Slenderman would kill their families if they did not commit a murder. The victim survived the attack, managing to pull herself to a road once the perpetrators fled where she was rescued by a cyclist. Both girls were diagnosed as having mental illnesses, yet were still tried as adults for the crime. Neither would see jail time, instead receiving sentences of 25 and 40 years respectively in mental institutions. So they wanted to become proxies, but they were also afraid he was going to kill their kill families. Their families. he didn't, I don't know. Ugh. Okay, whatever. Teenagers are awful. Teenagers are awful. I mean, they were twelve. So pre-teens, pre-teens are, are awful. awful. <laughs> that whole years, all those years from about eleven to about eighteen, people are just a fucking disaster. That's, that's true. Twenty-year-olds that are pretty, pretty much like walking dumpster fires as well. In the years since the Slenderman murder, there have been numerous other copycat incidents. After hearing the story, an unidentified woman from Cincinnati, Ohio, told TV reporters in June 2014 that her 13-year-old daughter had attacked her with a knife and had written macabre fiction, some involving the Slender Man, whom the mother claimed had motivated the attack. On September 4, 2014, a 14-year-old girl in Port Ritchie, Florida, allegedly set her family's house on fire while her mother and 9-year-old brother were inside. Police reported that the teenager had been reading online stories about Slenderman as well as Atsushi Okubo's manga, Soul Eater. That's bullshit. That is bullshit. Soul Eater's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, but you guys also aren't ridiculous, stupid, emotional 14-year-olds either. That's true. If I was going to set my family's house on fire, it wasn't going to be because I read creepypasta. Right. It was going to be for various other reasons. (laughs) Don't take that seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to set my family's house on fire. I promise. I still might. No, no, please don't take that seriously. I just don't know when to stop joking. <laughs> it's all a joke. Really. Really. It's wink, a wink. joke. Nudge, nudge. Any family that happens to be listening, please don't worry. Continue to invite me to things. I will not hurt you. She's not joking anymore. I will not hurt you. Speaking of technology and robots. <laughs> anyway. Fantastic. During an early 2015 epidemic of suicide attempts by young people ages 12 to 24 on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, Slender Man was cited as an influence. The Aglala Sioux Tribe president noted that many Native Americans traditionally believe in a suicide spirit similar to the Slender Men. The incidents, coupled with negative media coverage, have seen a decline in the popularity of the character since. In 2018, the release of a Slenderman film turned out to be a box office bomb. Carly Veloci, writing for The Verge, called the film a, quote, nail in the coffin of a dying fandom. I saw that movie, too. I didn't even know they made a movie. (laughs) They've made a couple of movies. They made, like, a Slenderman movie, but then they made the Marble Hornets movie, which was a lot better, actually. I'm being honest, like watch the Marble Hornets movie if you only get to watch one of them. Uh, But if you have the option, just watch the Marble Hornets YouTube videos. Those actually legitimately kind of creeped me out when I was in high school. 
Yeah, I'm good. So all that being said, we will not be covering Slenderman's stories in this episode, but we felt that the character and the mythos that developed around it that eventually turned into a legendary internet folklore story was definitely worthy of at least an honorable mention. Don't worry. You can turn the lights back on if you haven't already, kitties. Big babies. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) That's all the time we have for today, but we had a great time scaring you. Perhaps we'll do it again soon sometime. We would like to thank the creators of all of the stories that we just read here tonight and encourage you to seek out more just like them, either on Reddit or creepypasta.com. There are also some very fine readings of these and various other stories performed dramatically on YouTube. As for the ghoul babes, the shadows call and we must follow. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. We're on there as the spooky show on all three accounts. We are entertaining as fuck. As fuck. (laughs) If you enjoy what we do and we know you do, please take a look at our Patreon and kick us some cash so we can keep funding this wonderful, crazy adventure. We pay out of our own pockets to keep the show running, so we want to keep being able to do this for you. Um, We're also going to have, as Patreon exclusives for our paying... uh, patrons we're going to have some exclusive readings of other stories that are not going to be on this episode um but it's going to be fun and you should pay and give us a listen check us a dollar or so yeah it's gonna be entertaining as heck you're gonna want to hear us because remember we are entertaining as fuck exactly we also have merch available on zazzle.com just in time for the cooler season there are some great sweatshirts available on there and mugs for your hot cocoa and pumpkin spiced blood wine zazzle.com z-a-z-z-l-e.com like a sound a bee would make <laughs> buzz yes. join us in two weeks for episode seven hometown haunts part two the gambling ghost of las vegas where we'll tell stories about this town that all four of us call home and we'll give you our thoughts on some creepy attractions to check out just in time for halloween indeed and if you follow us on instagram or twitter you'll notice that we did go to the haunted museum last week which mm-hmm. is here in vegas and uh, some weird stuff happened in there, and we will talk about it on that episode. We've had time to unpack it, and there's stuff that I can't explain. Same. Mm-hmm. It's same, yeah. And we can't really explain it here just because, well, we're going to make you wait. Yep. <laughs> keep you in suspense. Anyway, in the meantime, stay, stay spooky, friends. friends.